It was a weekend of memorable finishes in MLS and a weekend to forget for the Americans abroad. This is the SBI Show. I am Garrett Cleverly. With me is Ivis Galarsep. What's up, man? What's going on, Garrett? It's been a crazy few days. Uh, good, good to finally get together and get this show on the road. Yeah, man. I know. I got I got back uh, late from uh, L.A. last night, so I don't. I won't take all the blame. I'll put some on you. That's why we didn't have a oh, show, yeah. but we're back. No, I'll, I'll take some of the blame for sure. I, uh, my sleep pattern is a mess right now. I uh, last night I actually didn't sleep till noon on Monday, uh, just doing a variety of things. I was writing a bunch of stories and uh, taking care of some business paperwork. And uh, yeah, man, I don't know what happened last night. Last night just totally disappeared. But uh, I blame good. that on you. I, I booked it back from LA. Like I, I was uh, like I was like Indy yeah. 500 out there. But you know, still late. Still pretty late. But I got back that. at an appropriate time. Well, you know, I stayed because I had to watch the LA Galaxy Chivas USA Super Classico that I was. We'll talk more about how I was horribly wrong on that prediction. <laughs> yeah, I heard. It, uh, I heard they had, they had trouble keeping you awake there. Yeah, I got, <laughs> at that point when we went to the game, I was so soccered out after watching four games all weekend that in the second half, I, I zoned the second half. I, I can't even tell you what happened. If I mean, nothing really has happened. A picture, but... If anybody has a picture from StubHub Center of you asleep in your seat. Uh, I think I might have to offer a lot of money for that. We were in the uh, coffin corner on the shaded side. I don't, I don't know what section that was, but I, I'm sure no one's going to be able to find it, Ivis. <laughs> if anyone saw a sleepy redhead just knocked out in the seat. Sleepy redhead. That's ridiculous. Sleepy ginger. Well, Ivis, tons to talk about on the show today because we had no show on Monday. Some things came out, so we're going to talk about the U.S. men's national team, the roster. We'll take a little bit. We'll take a quick look at all the players. We'll talk MLS, USL Pro expansion, some good things coming out. And, of course, we're going to talk about all the games in Major League Soccer. The biggest one, one that had provided tons of dramatic play was New York hosting New England Revolution, ended in a 2-2 draw for both sides. But New York, Ivis, some unfortunate calls went against them. New England took advantage of that. New York continued to punish. Tim Cahill got the got the eventual equalizer for the draw for New York, and they clinched the playoffs. And Ivis, I mean, you had to be very impressed with the way New York was able to put all the distractions behind them and come away with the draw and clinch a spot in the playoffs. Well, I mean, I think they, you know they they do deserve some credit for getting the point at the end. But I mean, I, th- I think actually New England deserves some credit because. Uh, it was the kind of game that they were really uh, out of. The Red Bulls control that game for a good chunk of it, and uh, and then you get the the, the handball call against Olave, Hamilton Olave. It was a questionable call. It was a bad call. It wasn't a handball. It hit him in the shoulder, uh, but that gave New England an opening. They got a goal back, and then New, and New York fell asleep a little bit. And uh, yeah, but it, but if that handball, if that if that call never happened, I don't think New England would have even scored. Right, but if these things happen, and as a team, you have to react to them. And the Red Bulls did not react well. They completely fell asleep, and they and they nearly lose this game. And the referee, I mean, it must be said, the referee had an absolutely shocking game. I mean, not only did he call, uh, did he give the bad call on the on the penalty that that helped get New England get in the game, but he also turned around and and made some questionable non calls that went in the Red Bulls' favor. So, I mean, I think both sides had had gripes in this one. I mean, without a doubt. I mean, I think he could have called a penalty on on the Red Bulls at one point when. Uh, uh, one of New England's forwards was fouled on a play, and then on the on the equalizer, and the Tim Cale equalizer, Andrew Farrell, whose face was just a mess after getting kicked in the face by his own teammate in a, on a crazy play, um, he gets at, he gets told to come off the field to clean up his his eye, which looked like it had blood on it, but it didn't. It was like an abrasion on his eye. They and they they ask him to, the ref asks him to come off the field just before the last corner kick, which you know the the, the Red Bulls are already up a man. 
Luis Robles is up in the penalty area, so that's up two men. And then they ask Andrew Farrell to come off the field. So basically the Red Bulls are up three men in that in a penalty area on that last play, which is tough for the uh, for the Revolution to, to to give up the points to give up the win that way. But you got to give Tim Cahill a ton of credit. I mean, he's done it all year, uh, stepping up in these kind of late moments and, and delivering a much needed uh, a goal at the right time. And you know, I said it after the match. I wrote about it for Goal.com that you know I think he's really made a case for himself for MVP. I don't think he'll win it. You know, I, people people always look at the goal scorers and the people who score the most goals. Uh, in the league as the true contenders are just how it always goes. But I tell you what, Tim Cahill, with the, the type of goals he scored, the timing of the goals he scored, I mean, he's the leading scorer on the top team in the league right now, points-wise. Uh, I think he, I definitely think he deserves some consideration. The, the player you're thinking of is when uh, Mbongo on uh, New England was on the touchline, cut into the box. Ro- uh, Robles looked like it took him out. That's the play that you're talking about. For New York, though, Ivis, since they have qualified for the playoffs, what does Mike Pecky do now with this team? Does, does he give some guys like Henri and Cahill uh, a little bit of rest? I mean, New York only has two games remaining. I mean, what, what would be his course of action to get this team prepared for the playoffs? <laughs> there's no there's no chance he rests anybody. I mean, just getting a, earning a playoff spot doesn't mean anything. I mean, what matters for them is trying to finish number one in the East, and they haven't they haven't locked that up yet by any means. So they've got these two games left. They have to play them like like you know like everything's still to play for. You know they they can't afford if they drop points and open the door. Sporting Kansas City can absolutely catch them for the top seed, and and there and it does that does matter. I mean, I, I think you know if you wanna you wanna finish with the top seed in, in the conference. You want to finish with the best record possible because you also have MLS Cup, the possibility of hosting the MLS Cup final. So I don't think anyone's going to be, just because they have a playoff spot locked up, that they're going to rest people. So, uh, you know, I, I think I think they've got a couple games. I think they've learned some lessons from this game. They played great. I thought the Red Bulls played well. They just didn't get that second goal, which, which really cost them at the end. But they, they played good soccer, actually, I thought. So uh, I want to see how they rebound after after that wild ending and, and see if they can put uh, put a couple of wins together. Over in the West, one of the wildest games, Colorado put a five spot on the Seattle Sounders, defeating them 5-1 to one in Colorado. I mean, you talk about rookie explosion. Deshaun Brown had two goals in this game, scored the second fastest goal in MLS history. Dwayne DeRosario has the lead. Dylan Powers gets a goal. And Colorado, from the from the opening minutes of this game, Ivis, was all over Seattle. Seattle did have a second half. But when you look at this in the long run, Colorado needed three points. They needed a victory. And, and the way they kind of gave it to Seattle, I mean, Seattle was so out of it so early on. I mean, who, who takes more from this? I mean, does Seattle take more from the loss, even though we've seen kind of some bad performances like that all season long? They didn't have Clint Dempsey, no Obi Femi Martins. Or does Colorado take more from this younger team defeating a team like Seattle? I mean, who, who gains the more or less from this match? <laughs> I don't think it's a question. I mean, I think Colorado... Uh, yes, they needed a win, so it's big. That, it's not. It's big that they won, no doubt about it. But it, it means so much more than that, because for, the, for them to manhandle Seattle the way they did, and I don't want to hear about the people that were missing, because we all know Seattle has a ton of depth. They had enough quality in their starting lineup to win a game and to beat most teams. There's no excuse for them to lay lay the egg that they laid, and you got to give credit to the Rapids for jumping all over them and, and beating them the way they did. And and you know it, it does. They're a team that's trying to get in the playoffs, trying to hold on to that spot. But on that night, I think they, they made the transition from team just trying to get in to team that could beat anybody in the playoffs. They have the qualities. They have the, uh, the talent all across the field to compete with anybody in the league. And I'm not ready to say, oh, they're a front runner. They're, they're going to win the whole thing. But they, I, don't, I don't see who they can't beat. 
I mean, I think they can match up with anyone. And, you know, I wrote a piece for, for again, another one of the pieces on the weekend for Gold.com about, you know, you look at their schedule and they've beaten pretty much everybody in, in of the top teams in the league. They beat the Red Bulls. They've beaten uh, Real Salt Lake. They've beaten the Galaxy twice. So this, this Seattle win is by no means a fluke. They've actually beaten good teams all year. So uh, they're legit. And, and you, know, you know, I lay it out in my story that, you know, the, the early season injuries that forced Oscar Pareja to play some younger guys helped them a ton because a lot of these young guys really developed and really blossomed. But then you throw that in with the, with the injured players coming back and then making some really smart signings in the summer. When you talk about Vicente Sanchez and Gabriel Torres, those two guys are, are big, big additions to, the, to their squad now. So right now they have the, the balance you, you, kind of, you, you need to be a legitimate contender for the playoffs. You want to have a stable, strong defense. You need a steady goalkeeper. You need quality attacking options. They have all of that. So you know, maybe they don't have they don't have the playoff experience in certain spots. They do have uh, some young guys that are playing key roles. But they're, they, the way they looked against Seattle, they look to me like a team that, that's playing with a ton of confidence. And I don't think anybody wants to see them in the playoffs. And I think you have a couple MLS managers up for for MLS Manager of the Year. But I think. I mean, I, I think at this point, Oscar Perea is the number one front runner with the job that he's done at Colorado for the MLS Manager of the Year. Well, look, Coach of the Year is an interesting one, and I and I I, I actually I said this a few weeks ago about Oscar Perea that you know I thought he was the front runner at the time. This was before they played Portland and, and Portland beat them. It's really a tough call, you know. When you look at Portland, you look at for me the two front runners mm. are are. Caleb Porter and Oscar Pareja. I know there's other candidates. Yes, I know Jason Christ has done well. But look, I, I mean, I don't know who thought they were going to be a bad team this year. I mean, and if you thought Real Salt Lake was going to be a bad team this year, that's a bad job by you. Because like, I know they, they made moves. They, they, they had to get rid of some talent. But they still had talent on that team. They were always going to be a good team. They were never going to fall off. So for me, I don't know why anyone would be surprised about them. The Red Bulls. With the way they're doing, obviously, Mike Pecky, you have to give him some consideration. We're talking about a first-year coach taking over a team that you know has so many expectations. Uh, he does deserve credit, I will say that. But at the same time, he's playing uh, with a full deck there, with some serious talent there. You know, it's not like he's he's taking the bad news bears and guiding them to a to a first-place finish. They have a ton of talent on their team. When you talk about Henri. Cahill, Olave, Dax McCarty, they have, Luis Robles doing really well. They have quality there. He deserves credit, but for me, I, I just I just think there's a different level when you talk about Oscar Pareja and for all the things that, for what he's done and Caleb Porter for what he's done. I still give the edge to Caleb Porter just because he he just took over that team. He had to rebuild that team pretty much from scratch and 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 change the entire uh, attitude of that team, the entire makeup of that team, whereas. Pereja was there last year. This is his second year of the project. Uh, you know, so they, they've reaped the rewards. They've made some great signings. I think Paul Bravo. I think their I think their front office definitely deserves is con, you know deserves consideration for, for for you know GM of the year and the moves that they've made. But I I think I still kind of give the edge to Portland and uh, Caleb Porter for what he's done. But it, it's a tight race. We, we're going to see how things finish out here these last few weeks. Uh, the Vancouver Whitecaps and the Portland Timbers provided a lot of fireworks. I think arguably in this game, I guess you could have the goal of the year with Camilo's uh, bicycle kick, and then you can have the save of the year, Donovan Ricketts' full extension, uh, denying Manet. 
kind of another interesting game because Vancouver just looked the dominant side. I'm sorry, Portland looked the dominant side. Vancouver came back and kept pushing. They get those wonder goals, and then when the last couple of minutes, they keep pushing, pushing, pushing. I think you can make an argument that Manet was taken down in the box at that speed. Mm. Doesn't take nah. that speed? No, at that nah. speed. At that Ivis at that mm-hmm. speed, it doesn't mm-hmm. take much contact. It doesn't, I don't want dude. At that, no. Regardless, no, regardless, 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 <laughs> regardless, I'm right, you're All wrong. Right. Regardless, Ivis. Yeah. Vancouver yeah. did pick up a point in this game. They're still six points out of the West. This they're effort they're that they they're showed, done. is it enough or is it the, the, the point was the final coffin for them? They're done. Vancouver's done. They needed a win. They didn't get it. And you know what? I, you got to give Camillo a ton, a ton of credit, right? He put Vancouver on his back. They just, you know, they look flat. They, the Portland completely controlled that game for, for a large part uh, of the match up until the wild final 20 minutes before Camillo just put on his Superman cape and, and started throwing a ton of chances at Portland. If not for Donovan Ricketts and, and his amazing reaction saves, Camillo could have had a hat trick in the last 15 minutes of that game. So it's pretty, it was a wild ending. Uh, you know, Vancouver, man, I don't know what the deal is. When you, look, when you watch that game, their offense just didn't show much for like a good chunk of that, the first 70 plus minutes of that game. And then Camillo just turned it on. And obviously some of the subs helped, obviously. Uh, Kikuta Mane, obviously, with his speed definitely helped. But mm-hmm. where was the urgency before that? They, yeah. they, just, they let Portland control and dominate that game in a game they absolutely needed. And for me, I just that coupled with the way they lost to that Real Salt Lake Reserve team, it just it raises a lot of questions. It's like, this is like, where is the urgency? And, and, and uh, you know, it comes down to, this is the second year in a row now that Vancouver has fallen apart late in the season. And that, and the uh, the coach has got to take some blame for that. I mean, uh, I, I think they've had two wins combined in the past two seasons after, I think it's July 15th. Two wins. I think it's like 218 and six. Some ridiculous record. They did, they were winless, I think, in fourteen to close the year out last year. And at some point, the coach has to has to has to catch some of the blame for that. And right now, they're out of the they're out of the race. Right? It's going to take a miracle. It's literally it's it will take pretty much a miracle to get them uh, a playoff spot at this point. So if they're out, we're talking about a team, Vancouver team, that was second in second place uh, in the in the West just a few months ago, and now they're out. Right? I mean, barring a, a complete collapse. Uh, from a few teams. I mean, looking at it right now, there's six points out with three to play, which means basically Colorado, if Colorado wins, like they need Colorado to lose out basically and they win out uh, for them to have a chance. I don't see that happening. I mean, let's be honest, that's not going to happen. Or LA fall apart. LA's not going to fall apart. So they're done. So he's got to go. I, I think for me, I think Martin Rennie, two years doesn't seem like much, but when you have two straight years, of just utter collapses, especially a team that played well the first half of the season. Vancouver looked good the first half. Same thing last year. Last year, they were one of the stories of the season last year. First half of the season, they were like this, you know, Martin Rennie was like just looking like this this, this, this coach who, you know, coach of the year candidate. And then he, then they start making moves. They, they sell Davide Chumiento. They, they, they start making all these all these maneuvers and they don't work out. And they crash and burn. This year, you think, hey, we learn our lesson from that. No. What do they do? They start tinkering again. They bring in a new goalkeeper. Uh, and look, I'm not trying to blame the goalkeeper for this collapse. But, you know, what is going on? If your team is playing well, you know, make changes where you need to make them. I don't think Brad Knight was doing badly at all. I thought he was doing well. And then you make the change at goal. And it change, you know what? And you mess with, you mess with the, the dynamic of the team. And I think for the second year in a row, Martin Rennie got it wrong. 
And if you're Vancouver, you have to ask yourself, is that good enough? And I don't think it will be. I don't think you'll I don't think you'll be back. Since they on the unofficial stat boy in this show, Ivis, your your number about Vancouver, last year they had three wins after July fifteenth. This year only two. Also I want to point out Donovan Ricketts was pretty I mean, he was he had a freaking good game, but we've seen this all year long from him. He's been excellent for Portland, and I mean, last uh, against Vancouver, really put on display. Uh, Real Salt Lake FC Dallas, Real Salt Lake coming off their U.S. Open Cup loss. You know, I, I said, you know, we talked about this game, what it would mean for Real Salt Lake. They go down a man in the 17th minute when Mansali pretty much takes out Jackson on the wing, and then by fortune, Real Salt Lake takes the lead in the 60th minute. Uh, being down to men, Kenny Cooper then equalizes, game ends in a draw. And uh, for Real Salt Lake, Ivis, I mean, after that U.S. Open Cup loss and the way they looked in there, I mean, you had to be pleased that they were able to pick up a point after after being down a man for 75 minutes. Well, here you go. You have another team, another perfect example of a team that was crushing it first half of the season. FC Dallas, it just seems like yesterday that they were a first-place team and we were all scratching our heads at how they were just dominating the league, and they couldn't they couldn't do anything wrong. FC Dallas fans were loving life. They they they, they couldn't stop telling me enough about how I was so wrong for picking them to finish eighth in the West, and then the wheels have just completely fallen off. Uh, I, look, yes, get, it, on 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 its own, that result looks pretty good, right? You know, you get a point against Real Salt Lake. There's nothing to sneeze that. But when you're talking about a team that is completely free falling and needed a win to really help keep their playoff hopes alive, I mean, that just wasn't good enough. That just was not good enough. And, and now when you look at the se- the way they're closing out the season right now, FC Dallas, I mean, they're winless in four. They've got one win in six. And it's just, you know, when you look at their results map on uh, on the MLS website, there's not a lot of green after June, after uh, after May, actually. Or actually, no, June. June. From June 1st on, two wins. It's crazy. And, and much like Martin Rennie, uh, who, whose team collapsed at the end last year and this year, two years in a row. Uh, Shellis Hyman, same thing. And and his, you know, I, I, wrote, I wrote about both those coaches uh, this weekend and just about their track records. FC, FC Dallas, is, they're going to miss the playoffs, right? They're, they're even worse shaped than Vancouver. We're talking now, Van, in six seasons in charge, six seasons, uh, that Shellis Hyman's been the coach of FC Dallas. They've made the playoffs twice. And of those two times, one of them was a wild card appearance where they were knocked out in the wild card round. So the only good season that they really had was 2010 when they got to the MLS Cup final and they lost, obviously, in, uh, in I believe it was overtime, to, to, Col- to Colorado. That was a freezing final in, in, in Toronto. So if you're FC Dallas, I mean, is this good enough? Is this good enough to keep the coach? And I just don't think it is. And what I... While I might while I might feel that way, I don't think there's going to be a coaching change there. I I, I think you know I think it's it's well documented that the owner FC Dallas owner uh, played for Shellis Hyman at SMU was captain of his team. So like there, there's there's ties there that go beyond the norm. So it, it's going to probably take even an even worse season than this uh, for Shellis Hyman to, to you know be in trouble in jeopardy of losing his job. But if you look if you look at it though. He should be in danger. He should be someone who's ready to get the boot because this is not good enough. I mean, I think if you if you look at FC Dallas's collapse, right, talking about a team that was in first place in in at the start of June, any other league in the world, if a coach goes from first place, you know, three months into the season to not to just completely falling off the radar, they're going to lose their job. And and you know, this is two years in a row now they don't make the playoffs. 
I, I, I think uh, I think there should be a change there, but you know what? I don't think there's going to be a change there. Uh, in the most exciting game over the weekend, LA Galaxy defeated Chivas USA 5-0. to zero. I was only four goals off my prediction, Ivis. <laughs> uh, Landon Donovan equals the MLS uh, scoring record. Uh, your boy Zardis, I thought he looked very good in this game, and uh, trying to tell you, I, I know. He, I, I, there's a couple of no, there's a couple. You see, I like watching. It's so much. I, I love. You know, I don't get to see most games all the time. Beating Phoenix, obviously, but I love watching the game because you know the TV. You don't get to see everything, and I, I like to look at different things. You know, player movement, how, how they set up or stuff. And Zardis, you know, I, I, I was, uh, I was impressed. A couple things he needs to work on, but I was impressed. However, though, I will say, I did fall asleep in the second half of this match. L.A. just <laughs> trounced Chivas, so. It was that L.A. sun just wearing oh, out. Man, dude, it was so hot this weekend. It was, it was you know, and I love the heat, but it, it was it was a hot one in L.A. Look, that's, that's what I'll say about this game. Look, obviously Zars was, was outstanding for them, and he had it way too easy. I mean, I think you could have played on the left wing and gotten a few crosses off. That's how, that's how bad Chivas USA's uh, right back was. I don't know, game. man. I, I missed a PK in my co-ed game on Monday night, so I don't, I don't know how good I'd be on the left wing. Well, I didn't, want, I didn't want to bring it up. <laughs> I, I can't get it out but, of my but, head. But, yeah, but look, Mario DeLuna was just atrocious at right back for Chivas. And not to take anything away from Zardis, you know, he, he did what he had to do. He got he got up and down that right wing. They have him. Uh, Bruce Arena has been deploying him on the on the left flank, uh, keeping Robbie Keenan and Donovan up top. And, and Zardis did his job. He pumped balls in, provided the service there, and even got himself a goal. Now, yes, he's still not fully 100% sharp when you're talking about the – his, his finishing, yeah, he's still he's still a little raw. There's no doubt about it. But the I, qualities I, are there. The qualities are there. You see them, and I tell you what, I still stand by. If if he had had a full preseason, if he hadn't broken his foot, and he hadn't missed the early part of the season, and he had, if he had been ready from the first week of the season, I think he absolutely would be in the rookie of the year conversation. Yeah, of course, you know he was my rookie of the year pick uh, before the injury, obviously, and then he, and that really that really set him back away. So he's still catching up uh, to where maybe some other rookies are, but the qualities are there. You see it. And I tell you what, and I, I, I think I said it on the show a few episodes ago, next year is going to be a real interesting mm-hmm. year to see him break. I really think next year is going to be a year that he really puts it together, really breaks out and puts, starts taking some of those chances and putting them on frame. Yeah. And, the, and you say that about his finishing. That, that's the one thing I noticed is, is his positioning. There were a couple times where he just lacked the killer instinct, but you know, I think you said you know that comes with maturity, that comes with more games. You get used to the way you know certain things go, and I, look, I think he's going to get it. I mean, he just he was ridiculous against against Chivas USA, especially yeah. in the box. He, he was just it was, it was beautiful watching him play. He's get, you know what? he's got good feet. He's tricky. Yeah. He's tricky for his size, and it just kills me when people are trying to you know get on him about his finishing and say he's not that good. And it's like, he's 21 years old, folks. He's got, he's got time to, to develop. He's not the finished product yet. Uh, so, and you know what? LA needed that. Uh, and they need, LA needs someone to be that third guy. You know, we had this conversation recently about the fact that ever since uh, Mike McGee left and now Mike McGee and David Beckham left, they need that third. They need someone to be that third guy, that third amigo in their three amigo attack. Cause mm-hmm. Robbie Keane, as good as Robbie Keane and Landon Donovan are, they, on their own, uh, uh, are not going to be able to break down the better teams, the top teams. They need that third guy. And if Zardes can be that guy, then then you're talking about a team that can really, really be a strong candidate to, to 3 P. Uh, and so for, from that standpoint, this is a very promising game. Obviously, doing it against Chivas is a little easier than doing it against some other teams, but that's a big confidence booster for a player like Zardes. 
Yeah, yeah, that it was a uh, it was a good game though. I was. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you what, those uniforms were definitely not not good. Those, really? Like, you know Gallup what? They didn't look that bad in person. I, I wasn't hating on them. Well, you were asleep, so it that's not true. I was awake for the first half. <laughs> I was so soccered out. I mean, I was in the sun for like all Please. Saturday, all Sunday. What are you chopping tomatoes over there? What are you doing? I was watching games. You know what I was no, doing. What are you doing right now? What are you doing right now? It sounds like you're chopping. Uh, chopping oh, I'm banging my pen because I'm exhausted. All right, next game. I have a Houston Dynamo, Montreal Impact Dynamo uh, with the 1-0 victory. Ricardo Clark with the goal. Uh, Dynamo look like they're firmly establishing their playoff spot. We've seen this with Dominic Kinnear and, the, and what he's able to do with this team. Montreal Impact, though, Ivis, they fall to fourth. They're only three points clear of the Chicago Fire, Fire 6 in the sixth spot for the for the Eastern Conference. And for Montreal, Ivis, I mean, you kind of had to be a little worried with this finish here, especially with teams trying to get into the playoffs. I said it, man. I said it. I don't remember it was last episode or a few episodes ago. Montreal, don't, I mean, it, it wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't shock me if they completely fell out of the playoff race. And their their offense just is, I mean, their defense is just not good enough. And and it's a problem. I mean, I mean, I forget. I mean, even if they get in the playoffs, right, are they going to have a real chance to do much with their defense playing the way it is? I don't see it. Uh, look, it's still early. They have a game in hand on the rest of the group there. Uh, you know, so they, 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 still, they still have a little bit of a comfort zone right now when you talk about they're three points ahead of the Chicago Fire right now So uh, uh, in the playoff race with a game in hand. So it, it, it's, it's still not full panic mode. But I tell you what, if they lose their next game, then 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 you're gonna ask some well, serious questions because that that's gonna be you know all of a sudden the momentum is totally going against them. Well, and look at their schedule: New England Revolution, LA Galaxy, and then the Union, and then you finish it off with Toronto. And, and I think that Toronto game that that's gonna be their death spell. They're gonna go into that. They're gonna have to probably get a victory, but it, it's every other team if, as long as I'm sure it'll be one of those games where they'll have to get a victory, and every other team will just have to earn a point. And Montreal will miss the playoffs, and that could happen against with with against with their next four games. They have four tough games right i mean I, you know looking at the teams that are in that chase right now i mean the chicago fire the new england revolution are both on the outside looking in right now but mm-hmm. both those teams i mean they could get the results late in the season uh to put the real to really put the pressure on so if i'm Montreal, i need to worry about that uh, worry a bit and just, just something that, here's an observation that i had just watching them play and um, you know, Andrew Wenger uh, was playing forward for them, and he had the one chance that you know Tally Hall made a good save on. Now, here's my question: uh, I would wonder how much, if at all, Marcus Schellebaum has given thought to moving uh, Andrew Wenger uh, to center back. And then you know, maybe it's not something you can do this late in the season, right? It's a little late for that. But I, I tell you what: th- this off season, I'm thinking about making that move. I'm on Montreal because look. That's the, he's done, right? He's not coming. He can't come back. He's just terrible. He's just not good enough. You got to make sure. They need center back. For me, Andrew Kidd coming out of college, you know, he absolutely looked like he could be a quality center back prospect. He hasn't really gotten it done at forward. And to be fair, it's tough on a team where, you know, Marco DeVaio is the starting I, I, if I if I'm Montreal, I'm moving him to center back in and, and, and 2014, and you can have yourself a really quality center back, and you need something because their defense for it's just not good enough. Uh, excuse me, a Sporting Kansas City shut down the Columbus Crew in their resurgence one to zero over the weekend. Uh, kind of a lackluster game for both sides. Kind of a little ugly. Higuain did not have a good game, and for the crew, Ivis, is this kind of like the Vancouver result where they're officially out of the playoffs now being so far away on points? 
Uh, it's that that was that's a tough one, man. It's it's a tough blow for them. Uh, you know, I always thought it was a little it was a bridge too far uh, for them, especially when they you know they closed the season out uh, with with a couple of tough games. This is an upset. They absolutely they had to have. They just had to have it. Right, you're at home. You have to get this result. Now they're down to two games left. They play New England. A New England team that, for me, I got to tell you, is playing with a lot of confidence. And even though they didn't get the three points against the Red Bulls, they the attitude in that New England locker room showed me a team that really believes they're a playoff team, really believes they're good enough to be a playoff team. And I think that draw in New York is going to really propel them. And I think they could sweep the crew in these last two games of the season. So I'd say, I'd say yes. I, I think the crew... They put a they put a nice run together. You got to give Brian Bliss credit to to really kind of help help give them some life there and give them a chance to to really challenge late. But uh, I think it's a I think it's a little, it's a bridge. It's too far for them right now. They're they're four points out. Uh, they, they've only they only have two games left left to play. The Union uh, are getting some good results here lately, so uh, it's over. I'd say for the crew. Um, you also referenced the bridge too far. Excellent World War II movie in the very beginning of uh, what you're talking about, I guess. <laughs> Oh, there you go. And if anyone wants to talk World War II movies and old Clint Eastern westerns, find me on Twitter. I always talk about or, that or, stuff. Or Miley Cyrus albums. You can. You can <laughs> I don't. Basically kicks it. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. I will talk old school movies because that's all we had in my house growing up. Um, I guess the one prediction I did have this weekend, I did say that DC was going to come out and play really strong and have an effort, and they did. They almost scored an opening goal a couple times against. Uh, the Chicago Fire at RFK Stadium. Sean Johnson had an excellent game for the Fire. But the Fire, what we've seen all season long since Mike McGee came over, they have a very good finishing team. They finished their chances. D.C. United did not. Fire get the victory 3-0. to zero. And you look at the Fire schedules com- coming up here. They're going to get fat on some opponents. They got FC Dallas coming up, Toronto FC coming up, and they close with the New York Red Bulls. And, and I really think you can make a compelling argument, Ivis, that the Chicago Fire will make the playoffs. Uh, they look. They have a real chance. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and they got the result they needed. Sean Johnson. You have to give him a ton of credit there because he, you know, uh, the final result looked like it was a, it was a blowout, right? You know, three nil. But I mean, DC. By you know, they had chances. They had mm-hmm. chances to make absolutely make that a game. Sean Johnson kept them off the board, making a bunch of saves. And I thought he had the the, the best goalkeeping performance of the weekend. I know some people will look at Donovan Ricketts. Uh, who made some outstanding saves, no doubt about it, especially in that wild ending. But I thought Sean Johnson, the game that he had, was, was just so important for, for, for Chicago. that They needed three wins. They needed three points. They had to have it. Uh, so that I, I think that's a confidence builder. I think Baki Sumari scoring his first MLS goal, I think that was huge for them, uh, huge for him. You know, we're talking about a guy who got a red card his last time out. Uh, really tough blow for him. So he bounces back. I mean, I think that was a win they needed. Uh, and look, DC, we, as we said, there was no. It was always going to be tough for them to put in a strong ninety after after winning the uh, Open Cup and not having much to play for. Uh, so you know what, the Fire, you give them their credit. Now they have these games, like you said, they have a, the schedule is working in their favor right now, and and you know they they have a real opportunity to put some pressure on the Union for that last spot and. They also have an opportunity to take advantage if Montreal uh, falls apart here. Yeah, you know what? Hey, that's what it is, man. Good teams find ways to win. Bad teams find ways to lose. And that was DC United not finishing their chances. In the final game, Philadelphia Union should have come expected, but it took till the 95th minute uh, for Cleberson to get a goal for the Philadelphia Union for them to pick up three points. That was extremely important because uh, they're still in the playoff race. I mean, they qualify for the playoffs if they started now. And, and you had to just be... 
kind of wondering, Ivis, where this Philadelphia Union team is. I mean, they show well last week against Sporting Kansas City, but then now they don't show well against Toronto FC. I mean, how realistically, I mean, can this team really make the playoffs? And even if they do, I don't think they're going to perform that well. The Union, you don't think they're going to perform that well? I don't know, man. They're just... You look good against Sporting Kansas City, and then you look bad against Toronto FC. To me, with the Chicago Fire, with the way they're playing, I just I think the Union will play themselves out of the playoffs. Well, I would say this about Toronto and Philly. I mean, I think Toronto, for whatever reason, is really it through. It seems like last year, this year, they they've caused problems for for, for Philly for whatever reason. It's a matchup; it's always kind of worked against them. Uh, you know, they've gotten results though. They, I mean, they've always found a way to win uh, generally those games, but it's always been a scrappy scrappy affair. Uh, not an easy game by any means. And you know what? Here's the thing. This Union team is a young team, right? Mm-hmm. And they're coming of age. They've had to, they, they've done better than, than I think most people would have thought they would have done here late, getting these two wins against KC and Toronto to really revive their, their playoff chances. Uh, I, I, don't know if, I don't know if anyone wants to bother looking beyond getting into the playoffs. I think they can get in. These wins show that they can get in. And, and that's all that really matters for a team like this. When you talk about a young team, as as we've said on the show so many times, a team that has like a third of their salary cap tied up in dead money that they, isn't really even affecting them or or helping them as a team. Uh, so for them, to, if they can get in the playoffs despite that huge handicap, that's a win. That's a big that this is a successful season for the Union if they get into the playoffs, and it's a big building block for next year. When you talk about that young nucleus that they have, they're going to have that much more money to work with next year once once a lot of that dead money comes off the books. So. The, 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 it, it wasn't pretty, but I tell you what, the, the Union fans aren't going to care. They, they got the win. And Cleverson, I mean, look, here's a guy who at the end of the day, the, the only reason the Union took him, the only reason the Union brought him in was because it was a trade-off to get rid of Freddie Adu. They wanted to get Freddie Adu's two years of guaranteed money off their books, which I believe was like $1.3 million of guaranteed money. Uh, over the next two years, they took one year of Cleverson at, you know, whether it's half a million, 400000 they took one year of Cleberson to get rid of two years of Freddie Adu in terms of contract money. So they didn't even care if he played or not. If he played, it was a bonus. If he gave them something, it was always going to be a bonus. So for him to actually show something here late in the season, if you're John, if you're John Hackworth, you're, you're giddy, you're excited because that goal just might spark Cleberson. I mean, we're talking about a guy who won a World Cup. Uh, I, I know it's a long time ago for some, for some of the for young, younger people out there, but, you know, 2002, we're talking about a guy who started for Brazil in the World Cup in in 2002, that when they won the, when they won it all with Ronaldo, so that that I mean if you're if you're the Union, that's a huge confidence booster, and, and uh, I, I don't think they have a realistic chance to do much in the playoffs because without Jack McInerney really really putting in the goals, I just think they're 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 a bit one dimensional, they're a bit easy to, to play against, but it's still a bit it, it still says a ton about this group that they're even in this conversation. That they're even in the playoff spot that they're in right now, and I tell you what, man, they they could finish the season out pretty pretty well. I mean, they have DC United next, a, a team that they've done well against. They have Montreal, a team who's not playing well either, uh, and then they close out against Sporting Kansas City, a team they beat in KC. I think that's gonna be a great regular season finale. So I tell you what, man, I, I don't write off the Union. I think they're I think the Union are gonna get in. Well, we'll see. I mean, I, I still think that combination of Montreal Union, one of them will not make the playoffs. I think the fire will get in. I was, with all the good stuff that happened with MLS, it was very fortunate for the Americans abroad because they didn't have a good weekend. There were a lot of losses. No one really did anything. Tim Howard did not have a good game at all either, and it was probably one of the quietest American abroad weekends that we've had in, in some time. 
It was ugly, man. It was ugly. I mean, I can't remember a weekend where not only did no one did none of the players in the top leagues score a goal or register an assist or a shutout, but then to have nobody even like win games. Like, I mean, there were yeah. some, there were there were, some, there were wins here and there. Club Tijuana, they won, they, they won, but even even that result, even that game was kind of a, a overall negative in a way for them. When you think about, you know, uh, Joe Corona didn't see a minute. Hercules Gomez didn't start. Uh, so, you know, that that's one of the long run spots. It's called Tijuana winning. But, I mean, when you talk about the guys who were called up by Jurgen Klinsmann, all the European-based guys, even the Mexican guys, Mexican-based guys, they all lost. They all lost or tied. I mean, it was crazy. It was crazy just how it all – it was just ugly. It was just ugly. And, and then individually, when you look at some of the performances, look, Josie Altador once again – I mean, he, he has another game where he's just on on his own up top, mm-hmm. getting beaten up by top top center backs, holding his own. I thought, I thought he did some good things, but again, no service. There's just no service there, and I can tell you what Sunderland doesn't I, Sunderland doesn't have the quality to provide him service. Uh, well, that's what. Yeah, I mean, that's what we figured out now. I mean, they had, and that's the thing when you look at it on paper, right? Coming in, I mean, if I had told you in August, right, that 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 Sunderland they would have. Adam Johnson yeah. and and Jacarini. Jacarini is really highly regarded winger, and I still I I haven't given up on him. I think he I think he can give you quality. I'm I'm kind of ready to give up on Adam Johnson. I just don't think I just don't think he has it. His fall uh, he, he fell fast. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, we're talking three years ago. Manchester City time, man, he looked solid. Yeah, big time transfer. You know, future England star. The whole nine. He's just awful now. But listen, I will say this, and and, and I thought it was I thought it was great that. Uh, Jurgen Klinsmann kind of echoed these sentiments, but I know some people are freaking out right now about Josie Altidore and Sunderland. Absolutely freaking out. What an awful move. What an awful transfer. It's such a mistake. He should have stayed in, at AZ. He should never have left. Blah, blah, blah. Listen, is it the best transfer move ever? No. But is it really a negative? I, I still don't know if I agree with that because you know what? At the end of the day, as much as he's struggling, as much as Sunderland has won a game and as much as he hasn't scored a goal, he is playing against top flight competition. He is getting tested. It's pushing him. It is forcing him to get better. It's forcing him to improve his game. Mm-hmm. And it, that is only going to help him. That I'm telling you, it's only going to help him. And Sunderland isn't necessarily going to stay this this bad. I mean, they've already there's already talks about them bringing in um, Gustavo Poyet. Gus Poyet, I think he's quality manager. He can definitely help them. I mean, from everything we've read about Paulo Canio and the just the craziness <laughs> that was going on there, I mean, you can kind of understand why the team was in such shambles. It was right? so I mean, entertaining, or, though. Yeah, right. Well, you forget not even just the stuff we saw on the sidelines, but just <laughs> no. his, the, the way he was treating the team behind closed doors was just ridiculous. So I tell you what, now they've got to, you know, if if Poyet is the guy, he's he's a legitimate manager. He's the perfect kind of guy to bring in after a Decanio. If if everything is true and Decanio was just a real taskmaster, a, a real just like a guy that players hated, uh, you know, way too strict and just just abusive. And now you have a Poyet, who I think is, is more of a player's manager. That is exactly the kind of change that they need. So you know what? Don't, no, don't go writing off this 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 transfer just yet. I think Josie Altidore could absolutely still make something of this season. And I don't. And as as ugly as, ugly as it is to watch, right? As ugly as it is to watch. These games where against top teams like you know Liverpool, Man United, Josie Altidore get beaten up, get no service, and just be frustrated, he is improving. That is helping him. Mm-hmm. That is testing him in ways 
that the Dutch league just wouldn't test him anymore. I mean, at a certain point, you have to you have to test yourself by playing against better competition. He he owned that league for two years. What more did he need to do there, right? I mean, at a certain point, you, you know, whether it's anything, any endeavor that's any competitive endeavor, if you if you dominate your competition and you've done it for a couple of years, it's time for you to go find better competition. Mm-hmm. That's what he's done, and I think now with this managerial change, hopefully, he uh, you know Josie starts turning it around. I will say one thing: I, I'm sure that I can't I can't imagine there was a player happier to get on a plane for international duty than Josie Altador because he's just desperate to get some service he's gonna go i think he's gonna go hug and kiss landon donovan alejandro bedoya graham zussi and he's gonna he's just gonna be like in heaven because he's gonna finally get some good service uh in these upcoming games well speaking of the upcoming games josie atador was called in you're gonna named a 20-man roster as always ivis there's gonna be the calls for oh this guy didn't get called up blah 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 okay whatever um well let's talk about who's actually on the roster because because talking about guys who aren't here whatever um guys are brought up i think there's a couple positions where people are going to want to see things but we're not going to see it because it's going to be a hope versus a reality you know one of those positions i think right back brad evans back from injury if you look at what you're going to call in ivis uh there's no other players that he called in that have played right back recently yes jeff cameron ha- does play right back for stoke city but i mean i think that this is an op- another opportunity for brad evans to really show that he's the man at right back no, Brad Evans is going to start right back. I mean, I think that's that's pretty much a given when you look at the the way things have gone. I think he sees Brad Evans. I think he sees Jeff Cameron more as a center back slash defensive midfielder. So I, I think Brad Evans is the guy. And then I think another position where we'll see some stuff: Michael Bradley out with an injury, so he's not called into camp. Fabian Johnson is also out. You kind of wonder what that center mid, that kind of holding mid in Jurgen's four two three one is going to be. I think we could see Jermaine Jones out there, and I think a lot of people are going to want to see mixed discrude. I would like to see what he's able to do, but I mean, maybe you go with the safe bet, Kyle Beckerman there to kind of just hold it down while Jermaine Jones is more of the wandering attacking forward, which he sometimes likes to do. I mean, what could we see right there out of the, the holding mids in Jurgen's system? I think you're going to see Kyle Beckerman start. I think, but I do think you could see Mix Discrude in one of these two games uh, get himself a start. I mean, he's obviously played well enough. He's shown some really good things. We all know what he did in the Gold Cup final, and obviously coming in late against Mexico. So I think those are the two guys you'll see. I think it's it's promising that Sasha Kleshin's been called in, but just based on the track record of of, of how little he's gotten, uh, how little playing time he's gotten under Klinsman, I don't think he's going to go from not even being called in for the September games to all of a sudden in the starting lineup. As much as he's playing well, as much as I think I, I'd like to see what Sasha Kleshin can do with this current group of players, I'd love to see him in that lineup. See what he can do. You know, I know he hasn't shown a ton recently in the the, the, the minutes that he has gotten mm-hmm. under Klinsman, but uh, you know, I just think that when you look at the way he's played for for Anderlecht this year, that. I think he's on really good form, and, and I would like to see him in those kind of games. And is this the game that we see Aaron Johansson earn the start? No, I, I think it's still early there. I think I think he I think Klinsman still likes Josie Altador, Eddie Johnson, those guys. I mean, he mentioned that pairing by name as something that we could see. We haven't really seen those two paired together, but we, I think we could see that now, um, or we could see even Josie Altador and Landon Donovan. I think he's. I don't think he's in a hurry to rush Aaron Johansson in there. I mean, I think he's still as much as Johansson is doing really well at AZ. He's still a young forward who's adjusting to the national team setup. He doesn't have the the minutes logged in in the setup to just throw him in. And uh, so I think he's going to take it a little slow with him. I think we'll we'll see him in there. Well, he's going to get minutes. I'd, I'd expect him to get minutes in both these games, but 
as far as the start, I don't think that we'll see that as much as I know. Every, I know most U.S. fans are dying to see Aaron Johansson in starting lineup. And I just, we can spend more time talking about this U.S. men's national team uh, matchup on Thursday night. We can preview the game on Friday. Hopefully we'll catch you before you go tear up Kansas City. <laughs> hey, man, Kansas City is a great town. What can you say? It's a great place. It's always a good time. Uh, that, that's uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have our show the, the day before. Uh, I'm looking forward to that game. You know, Jamaica, they have nothing to play for. They've been pretty awful in qualifying. They've had some better results now. They're going to give a good test. I think they'll give a good test to this U.S. team. Uh, I think that I think it's not. They're not going to lay down and make it. A, it's not going to be a five-nil U.S. win. I don't think we're going to see that. But I think it's going to be a great test. I'm looking forward to see the lineup that Clemson uh, is going to put out there because it, it's going to be pretty close to a full-strength team. I know no Dempsey, no no uh, Fabian Johnson, no Michael Bradley, but it's going to be a pretty strong group that we're going to see out there. If you run into Ivis at the bar, his favorite drink is a Cosmopolitan. So just order <laughs> as many as you can. He pounds them like water. He Cosmopolitan. That's his well, drink. Well, I, listen, I th- if, if there's anything that I think people know, and I think I, our listeners know, and, and I think American soccer fans in general know, mm, they is, love that is, that, is that I'm a Jack and Coke guy. And I think that's that's a pretty much – that's common knowledge. I mean, I think people know – I think people know Jurgen Klinsmann's preferences in central midfield, and I think they know that I like Jack and Coke. That's, you, know, you, know, you, can't, you can't fool anybody with Maybe that. we should get uh, Jack Daniels to sponsor the, uh, the SBI show at the MLS Cup Final. Uh, we're gonna, I'm working on that. Trust me. I'm working on it. <laughs> we have a nice big bottle at the table. Yeah, hey, you know what? If we get, if we get uh, Captain Morgan, I'd be fine with that. Um, or some beer. Or Sierra Nevada. I'd be very good with that. Maybe some PBR for the hipsters that will be hanging out with us too, Ivis. <laughs> Man, uh, I'm, I, I'm looking forward to this party. That's what I'm going to say. It's gonna be, yeah. <laughs> uh, shifting gears big time. Some good news coming out on the American soccer front. This has been building for some time. Uh, the Orlando City Soccer Club received some very good news. The City of Orlando Board of Commissioners voted 7-0 to to approve funds that would go towards a stadium. Stadium's going to cost $84 million. Uh, st- uh, the city's going to chip in $20 million. The other 20 is going to be raised. Orlando's going to pitch in 30 And uh, one, I mean, one of the requirements, Ivis, for, for MLS expansion is you had to have a soccer-specific stadium. And, I mean, Orlando at this point looks like the front runner. And, I, I mean, I, I, I think they'll earn the next MLS franchise when, when, when Garber and the league gives it out. Well, I will say it's a, it's a big step for Orlando City, but it's not the biggest hurdle for them. I think it, they, it was it was pretty much known that they were going to clear this mm-hmm. this latest hurdle. Uh, the next one, the next vote for them is going to be the real. The, it's the one where they've had opposition before, and, and there's some question marks about whether they're going to clear that hurdle. But I'd say what they're they're going to get the team, they're going to get the funding, and if they don't get the funding, there's going they'll find another way to. Uh, uh, to pay for this, it's going to happen. I think. I think at this point, anyone that's still holding out hope that they don't get a team, uh, you know, I, I just don't see it. I think they are in. It, it's you know, we'll see what year they come in, but they are going to be one of those four teams that makes up that next group, that twenty-one to twenty-four that comes in after New York City FC. And it, and it's, it, I'm looking forward to see what they do. You know, they they, they really you know, the folks in Orlando City have done a really good job on the grassroots level. Of, of stirring up interest and, and and really you know running a good team there on the USL Pro side, it's encouraging. You know you want to see what they can do. And one thing I'd warn some people on is, don't look at things like the, the the attendance of the USL Pro games and say, well that's not good enough for an MLS team. But you got to understand once you have a MLS team there with the better players, with the better level of competition, with the better opponents that you can market and you can sell. 
it changes things. It changes things. It puts things on another level. So you can't you can't just just straight up look and say, oh, they draw six eight thousand. That's not good enough for MLS. No, they draw six eight thousand playing in a lower league. Once they actually have that MLS cachet mm-hmm. uh, with players like Terry Henry, you know, Landon Donovan, Robbie Keane passing through, like it. It. it I mean, perfect. The perfect example, more recent example. I mean, whether it's Portland or Seattle or Toronto FC. These markets where they had previous, uh, they had teams in, in smaller leagues. I mean, you know, look at look at what those teams draw or have drawn when they join MLS. So that that's what what you need to look at more. So I think you know what I think they could do well. I mean, I'm not saying they're going to draw fifty thousand like Seattle, but I think they could do a pretty good job there of, of drawing fans uh, fans to games out there. We've reached the end of the show. You know what that means. It's the SBI Q&A. If anyone has any questions for Ivis or myself, you can always use hashtag AskTheSBIShow on Twitter. Ivis and I check it all the time. I'm going to answer this first one, Ivis. First one comes from Tom Dawson. Seriously, wouldn't an L.A. franchise be a sought-after commodity? The scoreline slash empty seeps don't paint a pretty picture. All right, Tom, I'll tell you this, man. That sun was on the TV side, and it was so freaking hot that we moved over to the stated side. So there you go. It was it was freaking hot. And L.A. does get good supporters for their games, but not when it's like 97 degrees out and you're sitting in the sun for two hours. That sucks. I don't think that's what's keeping people away, man. I think that's a little bit of a reach. I mean, they don't play all their games during the daytime. That's... That's no, a little but bit of a unique situation. At, so one I, at 1 o'clock, though, I was just like, God, who picked this start for 3 o'clock? It's going to well, suck. But you're a ginger, though. You can't be Stop it. Stuck. That is it's so tough. stupid. That's, that's Ivis. You know what that is? That's reckless. You know, you know what that is. <laughs> Come on already. All right, all right. Well, now, you know what? I don't know. I, I think I, if you put the right team there, if you put the right ownership group there, in LA, I think a second LA team would work and would flourish and succeed. I just don't think. I just think Chivas USA, with the, its limited scope in terms of uh, limiting themselves to the, the type of demographic they're trying to market to, I just don't think that works. You know, I think they need to get away from that and don't and, and really try to brand themselves as an LA team, not a uh, you know Mexican American fans of Chivas Guadalajara root for your own team in LA team. That's just way too I way too isolated uh, a group that they're trying to go after and it's just not it's just not enough so i think a second team would be great there it's just not i just don't think it's Chivas usa uh next question comes from nihal why do people seem to rate the championship so lowly isn't it a little better than mls you know that's an interesting one and and you have it's a very very valid point my thing i think it's the fact we just don't see the championship games here in America, it's so tough to get those games. I mean, I think now you might get one game a week, if you're lucky, uh, of the league championship that's televised. Uh, I think BN Sport might get get a game here and there, but it's just so tough. I mean, you can't even get those games on streams, and, and people wonder about it why why that is, and it's basically because there's so many English Premier League games in, uh, in England. You're talking about ten games a weekend that there's just not the TV demand for the league championship, so. Uh, I think if I think if people in the U.S. could see the league championship more often and more regularly, if we had access to those games, if we could see them online, I think people would have a much better understanding of just how good that league is. And I think I mean I think it is a better league than MLS. I don't know how anyone could argue that. You know, it's a I'm not saying it's miles ahead, but you know, they, it's a stronger league. They spend more money, and it's a better league. But it's just not one you get to see. So I think that's why people kind of write it off or don't know, or don't really have a, 
a strong opinion of it. So, uh, yeah, I do agree with you that it, it doesn't get the, it doesn't have the rep that it should have here in America. Uh, next one comes from Chris Tobin, who wins supporter shield. Seems like if someone gets three points Sunday in Portland versus Seattle, they are the favorite. Yeah, I tell you what, I'm 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 supposed to be going to that game, and uh, I, I think we're in for a great one there. I mean, look, Seattle plays on Wednesday. So it, you want to see how that affects them. They're going to have that midweek game in the tired legs, and they're going to be missing some guys for international duty. Uh, I think Portland's going to win that one. I think Portland absolutely can win. And if they win that game, it, I think it's still a little tough. Uh, you want to see what Seattle does with their midweek, their midweek game. If they can, if Seattle can get the result that they need, you know, at midweek, that changes things. Obviously, I think uh, you know they, if they can beat Vancouver. Which you, you have to kind of like the chances to beat Vancouver. If they beat Vancouver, they set themselves up pretty well for the Supporters Shield. But Portland, I give them an outside chance, especially if they win that game on, on Sunday. Uh, next question comes from Casey Miller. Does Brooks and Chandler both go to Brazil, or does one of them go to Brazil? Well, I tell you what, I think Brooks, if healthy, will be there. I think he's someone who, between now and then, is going to continue to develop and really become a player that you have to have on the team. I don't know if he starts, but I think. He, he has the qualities and uh, that I, I think he has to be on the team. I think he's going to be on the team. Tim Chandler, uh, he is uh, he is an exile. He is he is on. He Jurgen Klinsmann has lost his number. Jurgen Klinsmann has pretty much said, uh, "See, ya, wouldn't want to be. Ya. I don't want anything." Like he, it, it, he, the fact that he didn't call Tim Chandler for this game, these games, the fact he didn't call him in in October, says it all. Right. I mean, right back is is a is just not a strong position. Just is not. Tim Chandler, we're talking about a guy who has speed, can provide service. Can He's he's like a prototypical right back. He's what you want at right back. And he won't call him in. And he didn't call him in. That says it all. Now, what, what does it say? Well, it says either a Tim Chandler is over the national team thing. He's moved on. He, he wants to focus on his club. Club side, or it means Jurgen Klinsman has gotten tired of Tim Chandler's in, uh, indecisiveness, his uh, his kind of fence sitting on these games, his lack of his lack of interest in in these games, and he said, you know what, we're not gonna we're not gonna bother you anymore. We're not gonna sweat you. We're not gonna uh, you know beg you to come in. You're, we're just gonna we'll we'll be all right. We'll be fine without you. And I tell you what, right now I just don't see Tim Chandler. Uh, being on that World Cup team because mm-hmm. there's not many more opportunities for him to come in and impress, and not only impress but also uh, repair the relationship because there, this is not a healthy right now, and no one can look at it and say it's a healthy situation. It's clearly something that's damaged. There's clearly he's fallen, he's tumbled off of the radar, and, and, and there's a reason for that, and I think it's because he, he's lacked commitment since he since he got capsized. That's the crazy part. He gets cap tied, and you figure, okay, now he's going to be in for the long haul. This great prospect two years ago, people couldn't shut up about Tim Chandler and, and what he brought to the table. Rightly so, because he's an exciting prospect. But he hasn't played since then. He has, that Since that Honduras game, he has not played. And I don't know if it traumatized him, that San Pedro Sula experience in the heat when he just struggled and played awfully. I don't know if that soured him on it, on the whole thing, or if... He just started doing the whole thing he did before he was captain, which is kind of finding excuses not to accept call-ups. And then finally, Jurgen Klinsmann said, you know what, guy? I'm not going to bother you anymore. Don't expect any more calls from me. And and maybe that's what he needs to do. Maybe he needs to just ignore him. And then as we get closer to the World Cup, 
I'm sure maybe Tim, maybe then Tim Chandler will say, I want to play in Brazil. I want to play in the World Cup. What the heck have I done? And you know what? If I, my, by then, it might be too late. Uh, next question. This is an interesting one. It comes from Jay Fair. He's an attorney. So good to know he's thinking about this. Question is, any progress on the hashtag SBI podcast drinking game? One for Ivis saying, listen, folks. And one for Garrett trying to hide RSL fandom. What, do I have a southern accent? What was that? I don't what know. Was that, 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 was my, that was my best that was impersonation word. of you. <laughs> that was the worst. And that's pretty bad. <laughs> uh, listen, folks. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this guy. <laughs> All right. I, I, yeah, I don't know if we can have that drinking game. You know, Jay, Jay Fur, if you make it yourself, uh, Ivis told me before the show that he'll fully endorse it on the website. Next question comes from Alex. Thoughts on B's Evans as World Cup starters. Does it doom us, or are they serviceable against world's best teams? Uh, I would be worried. I would be a little worried. Look, I know I know that, that, that Evans is, is, has shown some things and is, has been decent. And I know Beasley has held him, held his own in, in some good games against some top opponents, but I, it, I, those two as fullbacks in a World Cup, I'm not sold on that. I'm not. I mean, I've, I I don't know if the answers have been decided yet uh, in terms of starters uh, for for the World Cup. I think right now, yes, Brad Evans. Uh, but you know what? I, I I think if I looking into the crystal ball, I would say if he's healthy. Steve Chirondolo is going to be starting right back in Brazil if he's healthy. If he's not healthy, that mm. one's a little that's a little up in the air. You know, that's everyone. The name everyone loves to hear now. The guy who's like the official quote unquote backup quarterback who doesn't get called called up at all. But he's the most but favorite guy on the roster, it. though. He's the favorite guy in the pool. Eric Lehigh. I, I'm put. I'm throwing it down. I'm throwing it down. Eric Lehigh. I, I do not forget about him, folks. Wouldn't shock me. If he was starting at right back in Brazil, left back, Fabian Johnson is going to end up starting left back, in my opinion, just because I think enough other wing options have emerged. I think you, when you talk about Alejandro Bedoya, Graham Zussi, Landon Donovan, uh, I, I think you, Aaron Johansson, Hansen, also yeah. you can you can play you can play him on the wing as well. Eddie Johnson, you play him on the wing. I think there's enough other wing options that if you can put Fabian Johnson there, especially I mean, when, look, you're going to get a European team at least one, maybe two. You're going to get at least one really strong team in there. If you get yourself a team like a Portugal or somebody like Cristiano Ronaldo or uh, some insane wingers that you're going to have to deal with, I mean, Fabian Johnson is the one guy who can play fullback, who has the, the speed and just the quality to play on that level. And, and I, so I think for me, I think Chirondolo Johnson, best case scenario, I think if Jurgen Klinsmann, when he sleeps at night and he, he says his prayers, I think he prays for a Chirondolo Fabian Johnson fullback tandem. And I think if they have that, I think the U.S. will be all right. If they don't have that, I don't see Evans. I, I, I just don't see Evans Beasley being the starting fullbacks in Brazil. Uh, next question comes from Carlos Quintanilla. Uh, I'm sorry. I skipped one, but we'll go back to that one. His question is, is the turf in Kansas City reason enough to concern the U.S.? You know that that turf's a mess. It is absolutely a mess, and I'm curious to see how it plays, how it's going to play. Uh, is it going to tear up? Could we see an injury? I mean, it's it's just funny to think about it. I mean, a year ago when when they played Guatemala there, it was pristine. I mean, the field was immaculate. The grass was was just perfect, and and now we're talking about it as if they're going to play, you know, in a sandlot somewhere. It's just that. <laughs> It's just that awful, the grass. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to be able to, to, to you know, uh, get it into good enough shape. 
how's it going to hold up during the game? Uh, hopefully, all you can really hope for is that there are no injuries. I mean, I think that's, that's a, you know, could it affect play? Absolutely. I mean, even it affects Sporting Kansas City. It affects the way they play because, you know, they're, they're a team, they're a technical team. They like to keep, keep the ball on the ground, and it absolutely hurts their game. It hurts their game. There's no way anyone can deny that because, you know, when, you, when you're trying to keep the ball on the ground and you've got just divots and just chunks of grass all over the place, it's just that it makes it that much tougher. And uh, it, it, I think that that could probably be one of the few negatives of what should otherwise be a pretty great experience on Friday. The question I miss is from Brian. He asks you, Avis, where will you host the MLS Cup party in Portland? <laughs> well, hey, uh, I haven't started scouting out potential locations, but uh, since I am supposed to be going to Portland uh, this weekend, I will be sure to scout some places out. And uh, I'll, I'll be sure to uh, – I'll have my uh, I'll have my homeboy Aiden Brown uh, help me out there. He's he's out there in Portland, uh, former Timbers goalkeeper Aiden Brown. He's uh, I, I think he's pretty familiar with the bar scene out there, so I'm sure he'll help me out. Uh, I think we'll do all right. I think we'll if if Portland uh, hosts MLS Cup final, I, I think we'll have a pretty good spot for for the party. Good because we're gonna throw it out pretty hard, Ivis. There we are. Uh, next question comes from Max. Oh, main I sorry. I'm, you, your last name. Um, his question: If you could create a perfect midfield with MLS players with a four-four-two, who would it be and why? Man, I thought man. of mine. Do you want me to say mine? Uh, yeah, give me yours first, and then I'll. Okay, mine depends on on a lot. First off, in my four-four-two, Ivis, it would be a diamond formation. Okay, with an attacking mid, a ten, and a six. Donovan is on the right. Dempsey's the ten. Alonso's the six. And Lamar Nagel is the left mid because I think he'll play more defense than Eddie Johnson and Henri. There is my midfield. Yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> it's uh, pretty good. <laughs> I think. Alonzo, What's wrong with it? Who would you? Well, I mean, well, Dempsey. First of all, Dempsey hasn't even really played there. And this Ivis, his question player. is a perfect midfield. This is a perfect world. Dempsey is his in my in my perfect world. He's his, the form that he had at Fulham starting in, for my formation. Yeah. But he was more of a second striker. He wasn't really like a diamond, the tip of a diamond midfielder. That's not really his his thing. Uh, uh, you know what, Alonso. I think most people would take Alonso. I, I agree. I would put Alonso. Uh, all right, uh, Osvaldo Alonso. I, I think yeah, I think you want to go with him in the in the D mid role. Um, on the left, I'd probably still go Brad uh, Brad Davis. When you talk about service on the left, uh, impeccable service. He gives you free kicks. Uh, Landon Donovan, you got to put Landon Donovan on there. Put him on the right. Put him anywhere, but you mm-hmm. got to put him in the put him in the lineup. Uh, and as far as attacking attacking midfielders right now, Diego Valeri is, is playing pretty pretty damn well. Um, uh, I, I'd go Valeri. I think I'd think about Javier Morales. But you know what, man? I tell you what. Maybe I'd go. Maybe I'd go with an empty bucket and I'd play Tim Cahill and Will Johnson in the middle. Good luck getting through those guys. I mean, two box to box, just beasts. I mean, I mean, for me, I tell you what. If I'm if I'm naming my best eleven for the season right now, uh, I'm trying to find a way to get Tim Cahill on there. I mean, Tim Cahill's had an amazing year. Mm-hmm. Will Johnson's had a great year. Valeri's had a great year. Um, so yeah, it's a tough one. It's a t- that's a great it's a great question. There's no there's no right answers. Everyone has their preferences. Uh, I might even go Mike McGee on the left instead of Brad uh, uh, Brad Davis. Yeah, I forgot about that. So there there you go. Yeah, there you go. Actually, I mean, yeah, you're right. You know, I would take McGee. You know, I totally forgot about him. Um, yeah. Next question, Ivis, comes from JC. Are you a little bit surprised that Klinsman stayed true to his word by bringing in the best team possible? Uh, yes. I, you know what? I would say this. Uh, I, I was a little surprised um, when he first said it, right? When he first came out a few weeks ago, 
and said he was going to bring a full-strength team. I was a little surprised by it. But you know what? When I look back, uh, and I wrote a piece about it actually recently. Uh, I wrote a column uh, for Goal, Goal.com about it. When you look at, at the history uh, of these type of situations for the U.S. team, recent history, uh, 2001, 2005, 2009, um, the, 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 the setup that's similar to this was in 2005 when the U.S. qualified with three games to spare. Bruce Arena had one uh, two-game window to work with when he could call in a squad uh, after having qualified. And he called in a squad that had a pretty good, uh, pretty good mix of, re- of regulars and new faces. And he played his first game at Costa Rica. Uh, and he he trotted out a team that had that had uh, several veterans on it, several and even some European based veterans on it. Um, so I think it, it's almost a bit of a myth uh, in the past that you know we've seen completely just green teams of teams with uncapped players uh, play in the in the hex qualifiers. In the hex, it's been a little different because uh, you know I think in two thousand and two, well two thousand and one for the O two qualifying. They, the, the U.S. had one game uh, that was a standalone game, and they had already qualified. It was against the Trinidad team, and 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 Bruce Arena still had some you know some veteran names on there. He had some veteran guys that he called up, including some European-based guys, which was surprising when I, you know looking back on that uh, that that team that that uh, tied Trinidad in in two thousand and one. Ernie Stewart, Landon Donovan, John O'Brien. Eddie Pope. I mean, these are some names. These are some, you know, obviously established guys on that team. Uh, so it, it's not unheard of to have a, a U.S. coach with some games to work with still call in veteran guys. And you kind of understand it, right? Because you want to see some new faces, maybe, but you also don't want to just have a whole group of them because then it kind of kills the experience, right? Because you need those leaders. You need that 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 kind of uh, that. Been there, and, done it before. Yeah, you need that foundation of guys who know what they're doing. And in 2005, I thought it was a great example of that where, you know, they had to go play in Costa Rica. And even though they'd already qualified, if you're Bruce Arena, you're not going to uh, put a team of just guys who've never played in big, in big U.S. games before and feed them to the wolves, right? You're not going to do that. Not a whole team of them anyway. And that's what he did. He actually tried it out, a lineup that had several veterans on it. I mean, uh, you know, when you talk about uh, Eddie Pope, Gucciniewu, Tim Howard, Pablo Mastroeni, Eddie Lewis. Actually, that the team that played Costa Rica in Costa Rica, the U.S. team in 2005, uh, I believe had six starters who, who started the first game at the World Cup. So it just shows you, right? Uh, but then the second game in 05, uh, that team was a completely uh, inexperienced team. He, you know, it was kind of the second unit they brought in. But again, that group played a home game. That that group played Panama in a game with no, no real pressure on it. They were at home. They played at Foxborough. And just to give you an idea, of the players, of the 11 players that started in that qualifier in 05, uh, none of them played a minute, except for one. Only one of the 11 starters from that qualifier played a minute at the World Cup. That player, Clint Dempsey, who at the time was a was a low, was playing for New England. This game was at Foxborough. So it gives you an idea, right, that that that, that – that's where you can kind of understand where people have this idea that oh you know bringing an MLS team bringing a C team, uh, but you know what they've uh, the coaches in the past have, have put out strong teams uh, Bob Bradley, uh, which is a little different situation. They had two games left to play, they qualified after the first one, which is in Honduras, then they have this final game against Costa Rica, 
they already have their group together. So it's not like they were going to go call in a bunch of, of no-name uh, guys, who uncapped guys. So Bob Bradley ends up starting eight players that started against Honduras. Eight players in that Costa Rica game. Everybody remembers that memorable game, that 2-2 tie, Jonathan Bornstein's late header that helped Honduras get into the World Cup. That was the game where uh, it was after Charlie Davis's uh, car accident. Uh, real emotional night at RFK Stadium. Um, so basically, just to sum it all up, this super long-winded answer, uh, U.S. coaches in the past have tried it out veteran teams, even though the U.S. has already qualified. So it shouldn't come as much of a surprise, and you totally get it. Bob, uh, Jurgen Klinsmann wants uh, – he doesn't have – he doesn't have that many opportunities to get his group together between now and Brazil. So he has to take full advantage of each one. As much as MLS fans are going to hate it, as much as, as as people, you know, are upset about that. You know, I mean, look at Seattle, right? I mean, they, they have two games this week. And they have, you know, Eddie Johnson and Brad Evans called in for, for, for qualifiers that they, you know, you can call them meaningless. But that's not Jurgen Klinsmann's problem, right? No one should be mad at Jurgen Klinsmann. If you want to be mad at anybody, be mad at MLS because they're the ones scheduling games in these windows. But it's kind of tough, right? I mean, MLS obviously tried to work around it. There's a reason Real Salt Lake and the LA Galaxy don't have games this week because those are the teams that a year, you know, back in January or, or early before the season, you could project the Galaxy were going to have a couple guys on that U.S. team. So those are the teams they kicked out. Who knew? back in January, that Brad Evans was going to be a starting right back on, on the U.S. team. Nobody knew that. So, uh, you know, so that, that one, that, that, that's why people, could, you know, you have to look at it that way. You have to understand, MLS tried to fix their, to adjust their schedule to, to minimize the impact. But you, there's only so much you can do. It's nine months out, ten months out. You know, it's only so much you can do. But I have no problem at all with Klinsman doing this. Uh, although I will say it makes the January camp even more interesting because you have all these guys who, who have had great MLS seasons that aren't getting a look, and, and now that January camp is going to be their, their probably their last chance to really impress before the World Cup. All right. Take a deep breath, Ivis. You're long-winded right there. Yeah, I felt like Ted Cruz there. I was yeah. like on a fil- filibuster. <laughs> there you go. I'm ready. Look at you, man. Try to drop it <laughs> You like that, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, dude, I guarantee 95% of the people listening to the show are like, what? Um, oh, come on. Hey, hey, listen, man. Don't insult the intelligence of our listeners. We have we have really Yeah, and they're the best-looking listeners, too. All right, next question comes from Javier Zavaleta. I think he's actually Eric Zavaleta's brother, possibly. Um, I think Henri <laughs> I think Henri uh, should be suspended for his foul and feral. What do you guys think? Awesome show, guys. Thank you, Javier. Uh, you know what? I don't think I know. Look, he has a reputation, right? Terry Henry has a bit of a reputation of being a dirty player, mm-hmm. taking shots here and there. I don't think he meant it. I don't think it was intentional. He was going up. There was a challenge. He ran into the guy, and, and then Farrell runs into Reese. It, 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 it was all. It was bang bang play. Uh, I don't know. I don't think he'll be suspended. I think it, it, they were just both going up for a challenge. So uh, no, I do not see him getting suspended. Is that it? Well, that ends the SBI Q&A. Very long Q&A. We appreciate everyone for their comments. And uh, it's time for us to wrap up the show. Tons tons that we talked about, tons that we covered. But uh, do you think we've, we've, anything we forgot, Ivis? Closing comments. What have we forgotten? I don't know. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. I mean, you know, look, it, it was definitely a weekend to forget for Americans abroad. Um, but, you know, this is going to be a good week. It's a good week for U.S. soccer and the U.S. national team. 
Uh, Friday should be a bit of a celebration. You know, there's no pressure. There's nothing on the line. It's a chance to see the first team play in a, in a game against, you know, a decent opponent in front of a, a great crowd. And uh, these two games are going to be uh, are going to be some interesting games, especially the Panama game. That Panama game, Panama is going to have a lot to play for. It's going to be an impressive atmosphere there in Panama. It's going to be a good test for this U.S. team. And, and uh, you know, this team... It's far. It's not complete. Uh, the this U.S. lineup is not. It's far. It's far. I'd say it's still. It, we're lucky if we're seeing six or seven of uh, of the guys who are going to end up starting in Brazil in these games, uh, starting anyway. Um, but it's still these games are going to be. I think they're going to be pretty important. They're, they're a chance for guys like Disgrud, guys like Johansson, even guys like Kyle Beckerman to really show what they can do and. Uh, mm-hmm. You know that for that reason alone, I think I think people shouldn't necessarily write these games off as meaning quote unquote meaningless. I think there's definitely a lot of meaning there. I agree. Well, Ivis, that wraps it up. Everything we talked about, more to talk about later this week, especially with the U.S. men's national team, and we'll talk a little bit more about the hex and preview all the MLS play. I'll let you go, hey, man. And uh, what, what's up? What's up? What got, juicy? Got, what oh, juicy gossip do you have for us? No, it's not gossip, but it is <laughs> official. It is official that Sunderland has hired Gustavo Poyet. He is the manager uh, at Sunderland, so uh, that I think that's a big step. That's a big step for uh, um, Josie Altador. I think that's going to help him a lot. Yes. Well, Ivis, I'm going to let you go, man, and I'll talk to you later this week. Thanks, man. And as always, everyone, thank you for listening to the show. Appreciate all the comments and all the questions. This is the SBI Show.